Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join our 3 million members and supporters working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. Hey, y'all, it's Marianne. A quick word here, Anna Jane and I recorded this episode before the news broke that Scott Pruitt was resigning from the EPA as administrator. And so I want to just take a couple minutes before we start the show to give you a quick skinny on what happened and why and what comes next. Uh, So you all know, uh, as listeners of this show, that Scott Pruitt is the worst EPA administrator in history, not only because of his uh, famous corruption installing fancy soundproof phone booths and buying fancy fountain pens and getting taken to dinner at French restaurants uh, with sirens blaring. But more importantly, because of his relentless assault on our clean air and clean water and climate safeguards, which he was methodically working to roll back from his first day in office. And after months of scandalous headlines and months of his bad doings being exposed in the press, he finally, finally resigned. And it was a big victory for you all and for advocacy. And so I want to spend a minute talking to you about why this happened and what comes next. At the Sierra Club alone, we we had 60,000 pages of documents that we obtained through the Freedom of Information Act, the law that allows public servants like Scott Pruitt, who are being paid for by the taxpayers, requires their records to be made public. We're paying their salary, we're paying their bills, and those are the public's records. 60,000 pages of these documents were the source of a lot of the scandals that were revealed that you ended up seeing on the front pages of places like the New York Times and the Washington Post. It was the toiling of so many people reading through those 60,000 pages of documents. It was all of you who went to rallies, whether it was in Oklahoma or beyond, wherever Scott Pruitt showed up. Uh, Over 100,000 people sent in comments calling for him to be fired And ultimately, it was that diligent, tireless advocacy that brought all these scandals to light and resulted in Scott Pruitt resigning. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't just about the fancy fountain pens and the tactical pants. It was about his methodical and relentless attack on our clean air and clean water standards, which he was doing at the bidding of the very fossil fuel lobbyists that were helping to line his pockets. And so I think this is a victory for our democracy. It's a testament to the power of advocacy and to everyone who sent in a comment or went to a rally or made a donation to the Sierra Club so we could have those folks pouring through those 60,000 pages of documents. Thank you. Don't give up. Never lose hope uh, because we have got to keep the pressure on with the next uh, EPA administrator in waiting, Andrew Wheeler, who was uh, prior to being at the EPA was a coal lobbyist for Murray Energy. Uh, someone recently asked me, they said he was an ex-coal lobbyist, and they asked me, does that mean he is now turned against coal, and <laughs> or is he formerly a coal lobbyist? He is formerly a coal lobbyist. We expect he is going to try to 
uh, carry out Scott Pruitt's toxic legacy and pick up where Scott Pruitt left off on his to-do list. And so it's advocacy. It's advocacy that is going to make the difference in whether he's able to do that or not. We at the Sierra Club and all of our allies will be keeping a close eye on him. Um, we need your support and we need you to stay involved because we are we are very determined to make sure that Scott Pruitt came in and tried to um, undermine the EPA and tried to destroy the agency. We did not let him get away with it and we are not going to let Andrew Wheeler get away with it either. So I'll put a link where you uh, in the show notes to take action if you want to send a message to your uh, decision makers about making sure that we have someone at the EPA who actually believes in the mission of the agency. And in the meantime, thanks to everyone for everything you did to get the worst EPA administrator in history sent packing back to Oklahoma. And now on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Marianne Hip, And I'm Anna Jane Joyner. This is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, Anna Jane and I are finishing up our series called How Then Shall We Live, where we looked at the question of whether our personal choices matter in the fight for our climate. It's been a great time, and we're going to look back at the highlights from the series, and we also have a big announcement to share, so get excited. Our topic for this episode is activism, which is in fact a personal choice. We have an awesome chat about youth leadership and what it feels like to grow up in the era of climate change with activist Iris Finn Gillingham, a brilliant youth leader of This Is Zero Hour, a youth-led climate movement in March happening on July 21st in Washington, D.C. that you should totally check out. Well, first, Anna Jane and I have some catching up to do. Hey there, Anna Jane. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I am great. I am getting in my summer vacation groove. I just got back from a lovely family wedding and getting ready to go to Yellowstone and Montana later this summer. So as we are trying to keep the world from burning, I'm also making sure to spend time with people and places that I love. I hope you're doing the same. Oh, I love that. I am not currently doing that. <laughs> I'm actually currently in Raleigh, North Carolina. I've been sitting in the North Carolina General Assembly for the past two days watching our crazy system work and yeah, it's a little rainy and gloomy, honestly. It's been a rough two days, but I'm very much looking forward to getting back to my beach bungalow in Alabama and soaking up the sunshine and sea and getting my summer back on. Well, we definitely are in the midst of a lot of heartbreaking news out there around the kids on the border, around uh, voting and discrimination. And uh, it seems to be a wave of really frustrating developments rolling in. Um, but I think that that is undoubtedly prompting more and more people to ask, what can they do? And, and you always, you know, what can I do? How can I help? Um, and that's really what we've been trying to tackle in this series is when you really care about something so desperately, you suddenly have all these choices to make. And, and it's been a really fun series of, you know, which choices matter and do my personal choices matter? Because I do think it's something that everybody everybody wrestles with. So I'm excited to look back on that with you and also share an announcement with folks here in, in a little bit. Yeah, me too. Uh, I'm excited to dive into that topic in this conversation and also to reflect on some of the awesome conversations we've been having over the past few weeks. It's been a really, really fun 
uh, series and I've loved sharing it with you, Marianne and our listeners. Yes. Well, we, uh, we are wrapping up here with, we decided the, the last personal choice we did not want to leave off the list was activism. And so we have a great interview about that coming your way in a minute, but before we get to that, the other topics we tackled were having kids, which was a conversation between me and you, energy, food, and flying. And so you want to start with the food episode? I loved that one because I was just with my sister at this wedding and we got to have her on. She's a professor who's an expert in global food systems and global food policy. Um, and a big takeaway from that one for me is just that this is not all black and white, that there is no food choice from a climate perspective that is totally pure and, you know, more local is better, more organic is better, more, the more vegetarian or vegan you can go, the better. And, um, these things are complicated and it's, uh, it sort of helps me not beat myself up so much about maybe not the best choice here and there, but also think about the changing things on the political scale are really what's going to be necessary when it comes to our lessening the footprint of our food systems. And that's an underappreciated area of climate activism. A hundred percent. I mean, I think there was a couple of big takeaways. That was such a fascinating conversation. And I love that your sister came on, but yeah, pay attention to the farm bill because that um, is where a lot of these things are, our decisions are made and that have, really systemic influence and, and influence on our on food and climate impacts from food across the board. So we should all be doing more of that, myself included. I'm definitely guilty of not always diving into that one. The other ones for me were definitely that it's more complicated. I had a moment like a week or two after that conversation where I was putting like organic tomato toner on my tomatoes in my garden. And, you know, I like felt good about it being organic and <laughs> was trying to be like, super healthy and thoughtful. And I'm like, why does this smell so bad? And then of course I like read the ingredients for this organic fertilizer essentially. And it's all like dead animals, basically like (laughs) feathers and bones. And I was just like, oh, well, here I am like making my little organic veggie garden and using dead animals to fertilize it. (laughs) Like how I, how ironic is that? It really kind of harkened to our part of the conversation where it was like, even if you're you know eating tofu, then how is that tofu being fertilized? You know, probably with matter from the chicken farm down the street and just how like complicated and not cut and dry that is, even if you are like I am a vegetarian. So that was a big takeaway. And then also that just food is this very personal thing that, that connects us to our families and to our history and to our, you know, cultures and that we do need to have some like grace and understanding and, and maybe not be so militant and how one, because it doesn't make sense because these issues are super complicated and there's not like one black and white way to, to make better food choices, but also just because they're very, very intimate and personal and, um, we're kind of all on this journey and, and, different ways. Absolutely. Well, um, thank you, Dr. Emily Piney again for joining us. Um, and let's see, what do you want to do next? How about energy? So on that, the Mike Grunwald from Politico, an incredible reporter, author, writer, uh, insightful on all things climate and climate policy. And I know I mentioned it on the show, but I was on the brink of needing a new car when I spoke with him and he has raved about the Chevy Bolt. And so a few days after we spoke, my car chugged its last uh, gallon of petroleum and we needed a new car because my old car was dead. And so I actually went out and bought a Chevy Bolt. And I realized like not everyone who listens to this podcast is in the in the market or has the 
uh, ability to buy a new car. But I will just say that since getting that thing, honestly, it's, it's kind of like when I went solar at my house and I suddenly had, I was very invested in what are the state energy policies in West Virginia and started paying a lot more attention to them. Similarly, now that I have this hundred percent electric vehicle, I am just invested in a different way in why can't I drive this thing all across the country and charge it along the way? And why, what are the barriers to these becoming widespread? Because when you have a car and you never have to go to the gas station ever again, it is the most liberating feeling, uh, that you just drive home at night and plug this thing in. And Mike Grunwald talks in in terms of my takeaway from the episode, you know, he talked about, look, just this lack of a network of charging stations is, uh, is really one key thing that's keep holding back electric vehicles and solve that problem. And these things will take off because they are just more fun to drive and you've cut your ties to the gas station. And so that was a big takeaway for me and something I've been thinking about, uh, you know, as an advocate, what could we do now to help help get that infrastructure to scale. Because I do think that once you drive one of these cars, you never, you never want to go back. That's yeah, that's fascinating. I think that was actually the big thing that came to mind for me too, even though I can't, or I don't currently own a, a Chevy Bolt or electric vehicle. It's definitely on my list for my next car purchase. Um, but yeah, like just the fact that like a big hindrance here is not that this technology isn't amazing or that they're not super fun to drive or even affordable these days. It's really the, um, the infrastructure problem and building, um, the different systems that we need to be able to drive these cars everywhere. And so I definitely have, since that conversation have noticed like electric vehicle, like charging stations more and just kind of like aware of like, what, what is this infrastructure? What does it look like? But a big takeaway for me from that conversation is that climate advocates should be seriously looking at, at ways that we can help support policies that help scale those systems, because that is going to be kind of the next big hurdle that we push through to grow and scale electric vehicles. So um, that was that was a, a definitely something I'm going to be thinking more, more about, especially in places like the Deep South, where that's just really beginning to to take off and there's a lot of room to grow, but really all over the country. I'm sure that's true in West Virginia as well. Yeah. Here, little side note, my uh, daughter is with her grandparents this week and my husband's going to go pick her up next weekend in Morgantown. And it's the, our car has a 240 mile range and he wants, he really wants to drive it there and it would be its longest voyage. Uh, So he's planned out like where he's going to park the car in Morgantown so that he can then meet up with his parents and they can go have lunch while the car is charging. And so it's possible, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it takes a whole lot of effort and initiative. And, you know, if every gas station just had a bunch of electric car charging stations where you could stop for 30 minutes and get some coffee and refuel your car, it would, uh, things would take off. So put it on the list. Things we'll work on. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. My other big take takeaway from that conversation was that Mike Grumwald is an incredibly hilarious and entertaining person. And I will follow and read his things from now until forever. <laughs> yes. And as everyone should, bringing so much needed humor to all these serious matters. Um, well, do you want to do the the one on flying? Cause I know that was the one that was oh, yeah. uh, start off, start us off on that one. Oh my gosh. Where do I start? I mean, I, this is like an issue and we talk about it in the episode that I've been just sort of beginning to us explore over the past couple 
months, especially, you know, really largely through conversations that were happening on Twitter and, and Peter's, um, that our guest, Peter Kalmus, his, his work and his voice on this. Cause I kind of, at the beginning was just like, no flying is, you know, we do it. I have to do it for work. I actually really like doing it. It's something I've been doing literally my whole life. <laughs> um, but you know, it's not like where I should be like putting my, my climate trying to save the world energy is stopping flying. But after that conversation and, and engaging more, it's like, I really do, I, I don't know. I think that it's worthwhile thinking about like, how do we, how do we think, you know, like climate, you know, flying is a big, a big part of my climate footprint for sure. And do I need, you know, just like being more thoughtful about every trip that I take and, and do I need to do this? Are there other ways I could do it? How much of my time and energy is going towards flying all over the, the world or the country, you know, working or playing instead of really investing in my community and, and uh, getting to know the place where I live and the people there. I think I take for granted sort of the everyday sometimes and just the getting to know wherever I am. And so I want to I want to be more thoughtful about it. That was my big takeaway is slowing down a little bit, just being a little bit more thoughtful about always being on the go and, and trying to be a little bit more rooted in, in my place. Um, yeah, th- that was the big takeaway for me. I I will say maybe as sort of a wrap up thought of the whole series for me that a big takeaway that I had was, you know, I think we went into it and I said up front, I am, can be, I can sometimes feel a little cynical about, uh, this feeling that it's, it's, we're policing everybody's personal choices, um, when the system is not really set up to support people making good choices and we're expending so much energy, like micromanaging what kind of bag we bring to the grocery store that we're expending, uh, we're, we're not expending enough energy on, um, just making sure that when you turn on the light switch, it's powered with renewable energy. And, uh, and that's not necessarily a personal choice you have to make, but there was a systemic change that meant your personal choice has less of an impact. So anyway, so I came into it feeling like with a little bit of a cynical view about, yes, of course this matters, but like, uh, we don't want to just make everyone feel like, being a climate activist is all about giving up things you love and deprivation. And meanwhile, the world continues to burn. Like, let's keep it in perspective. And the thing that I took away uh, from it was, um, it was sort of about the quality of your life and your experience on this earth. And I took that away from the flying interview, especially that I, it can come across immediately as like very punitive and sort of shaming and you know, like you're doing it wrong that you have to give things up, but, but looking at it as sort of what kind of an experience do you want to have while you're on this planet and slowing down and being intentional about where things come from and how much time you're spending, go, go, go running, running around. Um, just taking a step back and being more intentional about that can actually profoundly improve the quality of your life. And I, I really like, I needed to hear that. And I took that away from your the, that interview and that conversation. And that's definitely something that has stuck with me. Yeah, definitely. The last one, uh, kids, (laughs) that was a big one. I think the main takeaway I've on that one for me was I was surprised how many people, uh, how much that struck either struck a chord with people or people were like, wait, what, you know, this is a thing. Um, but it just, uh, that one really, it was either something very personal to people they had agonized over or what they had, or they had just not thought about it. It had not occurred to them that this was a decision people were making so that it was less about my reaction to it. Cause I've kind of made my decisions in those departments in that department, but more <laughs> about how other people responded to it. We're so glad you did. Cause we love Hazel. 
it definitely pushes buttons. But I think the big takeaway for me is that we should be talking about it more because I think maybe just being a millennial and having a lot of friends in my life and also connecting with a lot of people over the internets who are are at this life stage and are concerned about climate change. This is something that people are thinking about and worried about. And it's probably a lot more people than we really know. Um, And it's, you know, it's definitely, I don't think there's been any real studies on like how climate and just this kind of very tenuous, scary moment that we're in is impacting people's reproductive choices. And I thought it was, uh, it was, I think it was challenging, but liberating for a lot of the people that I heard from that people were just out in the open discussing it and discussing their personal, you know, kind of wrestling with it, but also just like what, this is a weird moment that we're in and we should be talking about how this influences, you know, very personal choices, like having children. And so that was one takeaway. The other kind of surprising takeaway, and part of this, I think was like talking about on the podcast, part of it's just that like, I'm 33 and I've been like thinking about this and also talking to my partner about this. As I mentioned, you know, are we, is this something we want to try to do or not? And like I said, on the podcast, we, we lean towards no, but we're kind of keeping that door open for the time being. Um, but I think it was one thing that I took away that I wasn't necessarily expecting to take away was just the fact that even though this is a really harrowing moment in our time and climate change is really scary and the idea of, bringing a child into this world who would probably be alive at the end end of the century is like a a scary thing to me. It's also a really, really beautiful moment to be alive. And there's a lot of, you know, like great medical developments and technological developments. And um, in a lot of ways, our our quality of life is higher than it was a hundred years ago or 200 years ago when people were having children. And Um, and so it's not like, I think I have a tendency because bringing a kid into this world is such a big decision and you're, you're literally playing with another person's life to like kind of zone in on the negative, um, and the scary parts, but also there's a lot of positive, beautiful things. And even though we're alive at at a scary, harrowing moment in time, I'm really glad that we're alive. (laughs) I'm glad that my parents made the decision to have me and my siblings and your parents made the decision to have you. And so I don't know, they're really complicated matters. There's no right or wrong. I think every family has to make and every individual has to make that decision for themselves. And, um, but, but I don't know. Yeah. I think there's, there's really good reasons both ways. And, and I, I think remembering the beautiful parts of this life and this existence in this earth is also really important in making that decision. And these young people that are coming into the world are now like stepping up in such an incredible way and showing us how it is done from Parkland, Florida to uh, the guest that we have here to talk with about this is zero hour. And that is, uh, we're going to get to that, uh, tee that up for you in just a minute. But before we do that, Anna Jane, are you ready for our announcement? Yes, I am. Well, let me take a first run at it. And then, uh, and then please, I can't wait uh, to hear your thoughts. So friends, listeners, uh, no place like home family, we are going to upgrade and improve and, um, revolutionize your no place like home experience this summer. And to do that, we are taking a little break. So we are going to do a major update upgrade of this podcast in July and August and come back to you in September with, 
new shows, new topics, new guests, and kind of a new look and feel to the podcast, try to take things up to another level. So we are really excited about that. We hope that you are too. And uh, we will miss you in July and August as we're digging in and really taking the podcast to a new level, but we promise you're going to be excited with what comes out in September. So we can't, can't wait for you to hear that. And that's our big news. Yay. Yeah. I mean, I am I'm a little sad to be stepping back for a couple well, not stepping back. Cause we'll be digging in on the like planning and being thoughtful. Um, but as far as like the uh, regular podcast, but I think, yeah, I think it's going to be so good. I can't, I love, I mean, I think a big theme that we've been talking about lately is being more intentional and I love this podcast, but I have so many ideas and I know you have so many ideas of ways that we can make it even better and awesome guests and topics that we want to dig into and just be more thoughtful about as we roll out. So I'm super excited and I hope you guys will stick with us and stick around, stay subscribed because we will definitely be back and we'll be better than ever. And we love you guys and just absolutely treasure this experience of, of sharing these conversations with you. All right. So that is the news. Um, and if you do have any ideas or thoughts for us about things we should be thinking about as we're revamping here, you can tweet them to us at MPLH podcast. We will be sure to follow you uh, and your ideas there. Um, and before we depart, we're going to leave you with a really great interview and conversation. Anna Jane, do you want to tee this one up? Yeah, this is super exciting to me. I think one of the bright lights of this dark moment <laughs> in our history um, is the the way that youth have been stepping up and just uh, demonstrating moral courage that for whatever reason, a lot of adults are just utterly failing at. Um, so between the Parkland students and and now the um, you know Earth Guardians and that whole you know kind of climate movement that really is connected to indigenous rights and all of those things, and then we have the this is zero hour march coming up where these you know that's led by youth from all across the country, really you know stepping up and saying you know we are the people we've been waiting for. We have a voice. You know this impacts us um, in some cases more so than people older than us, and. We, you know, we want, we want you to listen to us and we, we have something you need to listen to. And so it's a really great conversation with Iris Finn Gillingham, who's one of the youth leaders. He's a part of, um, the, this is our movement and also a part of earth guardians. And she's just so brilliant and thoughtful and, um, yeah, just, she really does have a, a message and a wisdom to share with us. And I think that it's, it's definitely time to, to welcome the voices of, of, and not that there hasn't been moments in the past where we did welcome moments, you know, youth leaders, but I think this is really a moment where I feel called to, to giving them kind of the the megaphone. And I'm glad we were able to do that through this podcast conversation. And I also think that everybody should go check out This Is Zero Hour. They're on social media. They have a great website. Support them. Come to the March on July 21st in DC if you can. But definitely we should be we should be standing hand in hand with these these brave youth as they, as they fight for their future and our future too. All right. Well, without further ado, uh, let's listen to that incredible conversation and give them the megaphone right after this. Hi, my name is William Matthews and I'm from Los Angeles. Here is your dinner party climate fact for the day. The World Bank estimates that by 2050, there will be 143 million climate refugees. 
These are people who have been displaced from their homes by climate impacts like drought and rising seas. My guest today is Iris Finn Gillingham, an 18-year-old climate activist who serves on the National Youth Council for Earth Guardians and is also the partnerships director for This Is Zero Hour, a movement in upcoming March in D.C. on July 21st. We are so honored to have you on No Place Like Home today, Iris. No worries. Yeah. So I want to hear all about your activism and the upcoming March. Um, but first, I'm just curious about how you got you know, inspired to become a climate activist? Yeah. Well, I guess you could say it started when I was really young. Um, when I was six years old, my, up until then, my family had had an organic vegetable farm. And um, after experiencing one 500-year flood and two 100-year floods in the span of five years, we were forced to stop growing organic organic vegetables for a living. And um, it changed the course of my family's life. For me, I have felt the effects of the erratic weather patterns that climate change is causing, right? So taking action just seems natural. I'm a young person and I'm looking at the world and I don't know what it's going to be like in 20 years. And that's pretty scary. So uh, stepping up along with my peers and youth from around the country, we are calling our leaders to take action because right now they are not thinking of our future. They are thinking about lining their pockets and we deserve the right to clean air, clean water and a just place to live. Yeah. I'm curious, like, um, and I a hundred percent agree with you, obviously, um, and so appreciate your voice and leadership. But I'm wondering just like on like an emotional level, what it's like to be coming of age in kind of the age of climate change. Like I'm I'm 33, so I'm sort of a generation ahead of you. And I'm thinking like these days and for the past kind of 10 years of my life, I've been thinking a lot about climate change and it's been a very emotional journey for me to, you know, in the space of activism, but I just can't imagine being 18. I mean, I guess I was around 18 when I really started paying attention to climate change, but, you know, for the most part, I was worried about, um, boys and making good grades. I wasn't, I wasn't as, you know, looking at like the future of this planet in my lifetime. And, and I'm curious what it's like to be 18 and to be wrestling with that on an emotional level. I think it's really hard to be a young person. And for me, you're, I'm navigating everything. I'm like figuring out, I'm going to college and working on, you know, <laughs> building more structure in my life and, um, and all of these things that I'm already facing as an 18 year old, uh, being a student. And on top of that, it's really hard to be a climate activist. I mean, you're juggling conference calls during study hall and it's really tough and the emotional piece for me is that it's hard for me to look around the world and see 
on one hand, that people in indigenous communities don't have clean drinking water. And then my friends are, you know, worried about floods in their homes. And then on the other hand, there are just so many people who really have no idea the other side of the perspective. And they're just totally focused on their own life and um, burning fossil fuels and consumerism. And so for me, that's really hard to just be navigating in a world where there's so much chaos. Um, And I believe that climate change is the defining issue of our time, because if we don't have these just basic uh, things that we need to live, um, then that's a really bleak future. But I'm very optimistic, too. I feel like there are incredible young people who are all standing up and part of what Zero Hour is, is it's really about uplifting youth voices and empowering young people to take action because we are the leaders. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Mm, I love that. And I want to, I want to dig in more to both youth leadership and, and you guys' approach. Um, but first I want to step back a little bit and talk about um, your childhood, you mentioned growing up on a, a farm, an organic vegetable farm, and your family had to pivot. And I understand that now you guys raise sheep, which I think is absolutely incredible. And you really have this in- incredible connection to the land and you you kind of embody sustainable practices. And also that you have had to fight um, the threat of fracking in, in your region. And so I, I'd love to just kind of hear more about what that upbringing was like, um, the sort of personal fight and journey to, to, you know, keep fracking out of your region and, and what that, you know, sort of picture felt like for you. Yeah. So having a connection to nature has basically been part of who I am. Um, my name, my full name is Iris Van Gillingham and an iris is an indicator species of a fen versus a bog. So there's a balsam for fen behind uh, my family's home, and that's what I'm named after. And so growing up, I've had this very strong connection to the natural world. I was homeschooled, um, so my mom really would spend a lot of time with us outside, uh, learning about the plants, um, foraging for wild foods. And my family lives a very sustainable lifestyle. We live um, in the middle of a hundred acres that my grandfather bought before my dad was born. And we live in the woods. I was born on the land in a little cabin. And after the flood, my family, uh, we continued to grow and raise all of our own food. So we have cows, we have a Scottish Highland cattle and, um, We've also had a milk cow for a very long time. And for a while we were milking um, so we could make our own cheese and butter. And then we also have a very large garden and apple orchards and trees. And we live off the grid. So I've never actually lived um, on the grid. We have solar electricity and we heat our house with wood. And I have grown up in, I guess you could say, a very unique lifestyle, um, but a very grounded lifestyle. And it's one that has really supported me in my activist work because I see that it is possible to live uh, a simpler life, I guess you could say. It's possible to not have as big of a footprint on the planet. 
So tell me how you went from being involved in this kind of um, fighting fracking and then also having this kind of wonderful, idyllic uh, upbringing close to the land, off the grid, to to getting involved in this, becoming really a leader, a leading youth voice in climate activism. Well, with the threat of fracking, um, my dad would bring my brother and I to some of the meetings he was going to. Uh, We were homeschooled. And at these meetings, there would be all of these amazing environmental leaders and community leaders. And they kept saying that they were doing this for their children and grandchildren. But when I looked around the room, I was the only young person. And for me, I realized how important it is to have everyone represented. And I was like, I want, I want to hear young people speaking about this because this is our future and our water. And so I, I started speaking up and that led me to becoming a youth spokesperson in my community. And then I was nominated to apply to be on the Earth Guardians National Council. And I applied, was accepted And I got to go to our first Earth Guardians training, which was held in upstate New York, actually not far from where I live. And it was a really important experience for me because I was able to connect with all of these other young people from around the country who were taking action, who were passionate about these issues, who had a connection to the natural world. Because for so long, it had just been me going to a rally and speaking And everyone saying, oh, that's so great. Like, we love having you here. But I wanted to see other young people. And I wanted to be working on this with other inspiring youth. I didn't want to be the token youth anymore. So to go to this Earth Guardians training and just be so inspired by these incredible leaders who were taking action in their communities. Um, Five of them are involved in the federal climate lawsuit where the 21 youth are suing the U.S. government over climate change with our children's trust. I'm such a huge fan of Earth Guardians. Um, What do you say to adults who who might say that you're too young to really understand what's going on or to to have leadership on this issue? I believe that youth are not given enough credit. I think we have an immense amount of power when we speak up and when adults actually take the time to listen to us because we can think outside the box. We aren't as ingrained in our way of thinking and doing things. And I think that is really what this country needs. We need to be looking at solutions. We need to be uh, using our creativity and our passions to create those. And young people, um, the thing I say to adults is that help uplift the young people. You know, We are incredible when you give us the space to speak up, when you give us the space to use our leadership skills and our power and gain those and learn from some of the elders and adults in our communities. Because if you keep saying, well, young people aren't going to understand this, you know, and leaving us out of the conversations, how are we going to be taking over this fight on protecting, let me start over. If, if you don't include us in the conversations, how are we going to take over and keep on fighting for clean water, clean air, and a just future? Because there's incredible activists and leaders now 
And there's a lot of young people who would be happy to step up and follow in those footsteps. And I think it's really important to listen to the young people because we are left out of so many conversations that the outcomes of which are going to have a huge impact on our lives. So I definitely think for adults, in whatever way that you can really truly listen to young people and uplift youth, that's my message to you. And for all of the youth out there, you have so much power. It's all about stepping into that power and using it. And it can be really daunting. It can be scary, but being courageous Courage is what we need right now. And we need our young people to really use their uh, gifts and their talents to step up. And we need the adults to uh, give the space because oftentimes that's one of the biggest things is adults are like, oh my gosh, we are so supportive of uh, all of the young people doing climate justice work, but they might not necessarily actually step aside for us to show our light and really create amazing change. So how can we do it together? Not one or the other, but really together looking at the best kind of solutions that we can create for the future. Mm, That's so powerful. And I couldn't agree more. And I'm so excited about this new generation of activists who are coming up. Y'all are doing absolutely incredible things. Okay. So We've been doing this series called How Then Shall We Live on our personal choices in climate change and activism. uh, We don't necessarily think of it, but it is a personal choice. It's a choice about how we spend our time and our energy and our resources. Um, And you guys are doing some amazing activism, including an upcoming march on July 21st in D.C. And I just was wondering if you can share with us, you know, what's happening, what we can do to support you. And um, yeah, just how you, you know, encouraging all of our listeners to get involved. So This Is Zero Hour is a movement of amazing teenagers from around the country. Um, And it literally is being organized by teenagers uh, on the side between school and all of the other extra activities they're involved with. And it definitely is a choice. It can be a tiring choice being on conference calls and all of this organizing that we're doing, but it's also a very motivating and inspiring thing because I'm able to connect with all of these incredible youth from frontline communities, uh, from uh, all over the country who are realizing that climate change is happening and that our leaders are not doing anything about it. And we need to put pressure on them because we, the people are the true leaders and our elected officials are meant to listen to us. So on the weekend of July 21st, uh, we are going to be lobbying our elected officials and then also having a day of art, music in the streets and art builds, and then a march and rally. And what's really incredible is that it has been organized by young people. And a lot of these young people are Uh, people of color. They are from uh, communities that are being impacted. And we're seeing what's happening in the world and we're taking action. This movement is really about uplifting 
young people's voices and uplifting the stories of frontline communities. I've had the opportunity to uh, go to these conferences called the Extreme Energy Extraction Conferences and go to directly impacted communities. I've seen the Bakken oil fields in North Dakota. I've been, I was just in uh, Detroit with the whole water crisis that's happening there. I've been to, I was in Houston in the spring before Harvey hit. And seeing all the facts on a chart about climate change doesn't have the same impact for me as when I see the tears in a person's eyes because they can't drink their own water and they're scared to bathe their kids because of you know the toxic water from fracking or when in Houston you're driving just down the highway and it smells like toxic chemicals next to the schools there so for me i feel like these stories of frontline communities and these personal stories that people have have to be shared and have to be uplifted because climate change is not only just about facts on a chart. It is about people's lives and the communities that are every single day being impacted by the erratic weather patterns, by the contributors to climate change, like fossil fuel extraction, pollution. As a young person, I feel like we do have a lot of power. Every individual person has a power in their choices, in their consumerism. Where do you put your money? Where do you um, put your support? So, you know, do you need to use all those plastic water bottles? Can you divest from fossil fuels? As an individual, all the choices we make have an impact. And looking at the larger scale, I think it definitely is so important for each and every person to really look at every action we take because we don't necessarily see the outcome of buying a plastic object. But there are people who are feeling the effects of that, whether it's that they're getting cancer because they're living next to an oil refinery or that their kids all have asthma and it you know it is a, it's a social justice issue i couldn't agree more and you put it so eloquently and one awesome choice that people can make is to join iris and all of the youth with this zero hour in dc on july 21st iris could you tell us a little bit about where people can get information and sign up to help and support definitely we want to see everybody out with us marching, rallying, and lobbying. You can find out more at thisiszerohour.org and also RSVP to the March or Lobby Day. We are asking folks to really take action and support the young people. Come listen to our stories and uplift us because we are the future and we are the ones who are going to have to deal with the effects of every decision that is made today. So you can find out more at thisiszerohour.org and follow Zero Hour on social media. Um, We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And you can also follow some of the work myself and the other youth are doing. Um, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. 
And we are asking for our voices to be uplifted around this issue. Oh, well, thank you. We're so honored to have you on and to to give your amazing work um, a platform and voice. Um, We are so, so grateful. I hope everybody checks out This Is Zero Hour and joins Iris and these incredible youth voices in D.C. on the 21st and just uh, looks for ways to raise up the, the voices and perspectives and leadership of youth um, in your own hometowns. So thank you so much, Iris, for coming on the show today. And uh, I hope to see you in D.C. Great. Soon. Thank you so much for having me. All right. That just about does it for us. A reminder that we are taking a wee break and we will be back in September better than ever. Marianne, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And thanks to the great band River Wireless for our theme music and to our sponsor, The Sierra Club. This episode was produced by podcast guru Zach Mack, who has decided after listening to this series that he seriously needs to rethink his life choices. Subscribe to us on iTunes and please also leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps us get the word out. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts and we will be posting all of our episodes and updates uh, as well as uh, staying in touch with you all while we're taking a break on our Twitter page, which is at NPLH podcast. So please be sure to follow us there. If you like our show or have any questions, comments, suggestions, or want to be part of our show by reading a dinner party climate fact, tweet at us. Again, we're at NPLH Podcast. And remember, there is no place like home.